Okay, let's continue our series on the book of James. We're going to be looking at James 1, 19 through 27. James 1, 19 through 27, which should be up on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to speak, slow to, excuse me, quick to hear. Ah, it was quick to speak there. <laughs> Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The word of the Lord. Now here is the part of the sermon where I would normally come up with some fantastic illustration drawing upon the universe or physics or I would pull out a historical figure of some significance and artfully and carefully, delicately weave it into some fantastic illustration uh, that I would uh, use as a foundation for the sermon. Alas, one cannot be found. No, this sermon needs no dressing up, for this text needs no dressing up. James is as blunt and as to the point as one can get. That's the great thing about uh, the Apostle James, his brevity, his usage of words. It's very, very clear what the purpose of this sermon is. It's really simply this question. Does our Christianity that is inside extend outside of ourselves to the world around us? Is our Christianity more than simply an internal feeling or emotion or a private practice? Does it actually go out into the world and touch the world? You see, true Christianity permeates our relationships and our behavior. It's from inside to outside. It's about listening to others and speaking to them in such a way to bring life. It's about hearing other people and doing acts of mercy and justice and goodness and love. It's about loving and caring. So the question that we are confronted with, that we have to face, the uncomfortable question is this, does our Christianity permeate our relationships and our behavior? Because if it does not, our true religion, our so-called true religion, is worthless. So we're going to look at these specific areas that James references here in terms of uh, human interaction to examine our own hearts. We're going to perform a diagnostic because true Christianity permeates our relationships and behavior. We're going to look at three points. Number one, we're going to look at hearing. What does it mean to hear as Christ wants us to hear? Number two, we're going to look at doing. 
What does it mean to do justice and mercy? To do, to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Then finally, number three, we're going to look at loving. Hearing, doing, and loving. So let's begin with point number one, hearing. In James 1.19, James says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Notice how he starts out, know this, my beloved brothers. In other words, this is integral to your faith. You must know this. You must be quick to hear, slow to speak. Now, the opposite is normally true, isn't it, in the world? We're quick to speak and slow to hear. And why is that true? Well, it's because the world is interested in themselves. We're interested in ourselves. There was a study done with the New York uh, telephone uh, company in which they tried to figure out the word that was used most in the New York telephone system. You know what that was? It was I followed by me. We're about ourselves, right? But this passage is saying that every one of us who follows Christ, if you are a Christ follower, should be quick to hear and slow to speak. Why is it so important to be quick to hear? See, when you're quick to hear, when you're quick to listen to someone else, you're communicating a world of things to them. You're communicating that that person is valuable. Indeed, what they think at that point in time is more important than what you are thinking. Communicating that their feelings matter, how they're feeling about something is important to you. We've all been uh, uh, come up against someone like this, right? Who is quick to hear and slow to speak. It's an attractive quality, isn't it? We're drawn to those people because they want to listen. They want to hear. They want to uh, enter into our world and our life, not just to thrust themselves into our world, but to invite them in. Jesus was quick to hear, wasn't he? Sure, Jesus gave commands and he gave parables and stuff, but when he interacted with people, he asked a lot of questions, didn't he? And he listened to people's stories. Brothers, we should be quick to hear and slow to speak. Notice it didn't say to not not speak. No, rather, simply to be slow to speak. See, it's only when we first listen to another person's story that we can rightly respond to them, right? If we're ready to speak right away before listening, we're not able to really minister to them because we have our own agenda rather than their agenda and our heart. Proverbs 10.19 puts it this way, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. You know people like this, right, that are slow to speak, You have to almost drag it out of them after a while. They're so busy hearing everything from you that finally after you've spoken and spoken, you're silent. And then they're ready to speak, to give a word, uh, a right word. Everyone should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. How is speech and anger related to each other? Well, how often do we hear something from someone and we instantly fly off the handle, right? It, it sparks an emotion in us. And before we can even get a hold of ourselves, we fly off the handle and we get angry. 
I thought recently, what if my children did something and my, my initial response was to just out of nowhere, uh, you know, sort of rear up and, and tear their head off. Now, luckily, by the grace of God, I didn't do that. I stopped. I was slow to speak and rather I became quick to hear and then I understood the situation. You see, for the anger of man, verse 20, does not produce the righteousness of God. When was the last time you flying off the handle improved a situation? Right? Oh, improved the situation when we're slow to speak, slow to become angry. Now, why are these things so important? You see, it's because in these things, not in our quiet time, not in our small group, not even in our Sunday morning attendance in the pews do we see the measure of our Christianity. But it is in our life, our character, our responses, and our relationships that we see true Christianity. James continues on, Therefore, verse 21, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. It says, therefore, in other words, brothers and sisters, because this is true, you must put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Notice we have to put it away. I like what Ken had to say in his confession that in our flesh, in our fallenness, our brokenness, we're not quite, we're not resurrected yet. There is this tendency to be all about myself and not about other people. But rather we have to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. The analogy is, the, the Greek is stripping off one's dirty clothes based on a desire to have nothing to do with the dirt. This rampant filthiness, this desire to be first, which is so opposite to the character of God. Rather, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The word, receive the implanted word, which is the gospel, the holy scriptures. And notice what it says, that it's been implanted into your very soul. If you are a Christian, the word of God lives and dwells inside of you. It was Jeremiah 31, 33, where the prophet prophesied that God said, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. How are we to receive this word? With meekness, meaning with humility, to recognize that I don't have all the answers, that I'm in desperate need of the help of God to get out of my self-centered life and my self-centered world. Christianity is not just about trying harder. It's about submission to the Holy Spirit. There is a power that is within us that gives us the strength to live the kind of life where we're quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. But it comes when we submit to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, help me, strengthen me. I want to walk in your will and your ways. And notice it says that we receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. It's not merely talking about the salvation of our soul, but the restoration of life itself. 
I don't know if you remember the story of the woman who suffered from the, uh, a bloody uh, discharge for over 12 years. And she came and she touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And Jesus said, your faith has healed you. The Greek literal translation is your faith has saved you. In other words, your faith has brought wholeness and healing and flourishing into your life and into the life of others. That's what God is looking for us to do in the life of our own life and in other people's lives, to bring life into other people's lives. So we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. I don't know if you know the story of Charles Stanley. Uh, Charles is the pastor of First Baptist Atlanta, which is a, a giant church, but he wasn't always the main pastor. He was the, the, the second pastor, the associate. And when uh, the first pastor left, there was a group of people, that uh, the elders, that did not want Charles to be uh, a pastor. And in fact, they were, they were, they were not good elders. And uh, they, were, um, they had a direction that they were trying to lead the church, which was in the wrong direction. And so they held a meeting. And one of, the, uh, uh, one of these men, I don't think he was an elder, uh, was getting so upset that he was in the pulpit and he actually cussed from the pulpit in this meeting. And Charles Stanley got up and walked up and very calmly said, you cannot cuss in the pulpit. This man reared back and punched Charles Stanley in the, in the face, knocking him to the ground. What would you have done? Come up swinging? Charles Stanley simply stood up, looked at him, and repeated again very calmly and kindly, you shall not cuss in the pulpit. And Andy Stanley, Charles's son, said it was then that Andy Stanley became the pastor of First Baptist. Charles Stanley. That Charles Stanley. We should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because it does not bring about the righteous life that God requires. What a powerful picture of grace under control. Are you this kind of person? What the world is looking for are people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Let us be the kind of people who listen to people, that they can come to us, that they know when they're having difficulties and challenges, that they come to us because they know that they'll find a kind, listening person who will listen to their story. Let us be these kind of people at church with those who need a listening ear. At work, when everyone else is tearing down someone, we're building them up. With our family, bringing life in a kind, apt, spoken word at just the right time. It's Proverbs 15.4 that says, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. You see, true Christianity permeates our relationships and behavior. And that includes hearing and speaking. But what about doing? My second point. James 1.22, he goes on to say, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Christianity is not simply about faith. It's faith in action. In fact, action is the natural response to faith. 
And the Bible is full of commands that demand a response, is it not? John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways. Jesus told the story that was read during our praying descriptions, uh, scriptures section of the wise and the foolish builder. Remember, if anyone hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, he is like a wise man that built his house on the rock. And the streams rose and the wind came, but it held because its foundation was on the rock. But anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man that built his house on the sand. This is a scary parable, isn't it? Because the Bible teaches that it's possible to claim to be a Christian and yet to not be a Christian. It shows that you can listen to the word and it not penetrate deep enough that it moves you. That was the problem with the Pharisees, wasn't it? In Matthew 23, 1, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. See, they sat in judgment of the word, but they didn't sit under the judgment of the word. The word was for their observation. It wasn't for their participation. They practice what I call a separated spirituality. Sounds fancy, Carlos. What is that? A separated spirituality encourages us to live a parallel life. On the one hand, there's reading the Bible, praying occasionally, meeting with a group, doing devotions, and yet that same person participating in that activity, living a life which is essentially worldly, making worldly choices, acting with a worldly value system, doing immoral things, living in in his business relationships in a way that dishonors God, living in his family relationships in a way which dishonors God, this kind of parallel life is characteristic of separated spirituality. And James mocks these people in verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. I mean, we look in the mirror to straighten our hair, to check the makeup, we're looking at our face. And this passage says that that person immediately, once they walk away from the mirror, completely forget everything about what they looked like. Well, that's silly that you would forget after looking right then and there and seeing your face, but that's exactly what it's saying. You see, the mirror is an object designed to alter man's external appearance or woman's external appearance. But the word confronts man internally and demands a life's response. See, spiritual life is woven into the fabric of who we are. It's not done on Sunday morning at 9.15 only. It's manifest in all of our waking hours and in every relationship of life. In other words, it's integrated. 
It's not separated. But the one who looks in the perfect law, verse 25, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Notice what it says, the one who looks into the perfect law. The law, my friends, is perfect. It's the perfect guide of how we are to live. We're seeking perfection. We're trying to find a path, a way in which we are to live that will help us to flourish. And this law is the perfect law. Nothing else is perfect. It's called the law of liberty. Because when we follow it and we obey it without questioning, it sets us free. We have a tendency to think that the law of God is what imprisons us and takes away our fun. But rather, it's the law of liberty that sets us free. If one perseveres in doing this, in other words, if one walks the path, and to be sure, we will fail. There will be times when we will veer away from God's word. But the one who continues to persevere, who goes back again and again to listening and obeying God's word and keeps doing it, James says he will be blessed in his doing. Notice that word blessed again, which means to be happy. Because God will look with favor upon your actions and your life. See, we want to experience shalom in our life. Shalom doesn't mean just an absence of conflict. It means wholeness. It means healing. It means flourishing. The way that we find that is by hearing and doing God's word, by being a participant and not a spectator. I don't know if you've ever been to a college or a NFL football game. It's been a while since I went. Went to a Redskins game some years ago. Took uh, one of our kids, I can't even remember, uh, got some tickets and, you know, it's quite a spectacle when you walk in there, right? And there's sort of some things you have to do, you know, you got to get some food, right? So you go and you spend your 40 bucks or whatever it is and you get a mountain of nachos and there's, there's a drink that's about yay big that you have to, I think it comes with backpack straps that you put on so you can get it. And, uh, you know, you basically are gorging on food, you and 50, 60,000 of your friends watching this spectacle as these 22 men try to kill each other on the field. It's been said that football is 22 men on the field badly in need of rest and 60,000 people in the stands badly in need of exercise. <laughs> Do we hear God's word as a spectator or as a participant? Our obedience to the word of God or our response to the word of God is a diagnostic of our spiritual condition. The test of whether you believe God's word is whether you obey it, especially when it runs counter to your desires. So do you? Do you obey it? If not, your view of Christianity may be out of whack. You may be one of those people practicing a separated spirituality. You do some things that are spiritual, but you realize that the things that you are doing are not permeating the rest of your life. If you are experiencing that, it's time to say, I've been fooling myself. 
I'm calling myself a Christian. I may not even be a Christian. If that's your reaction to James's diagnosis here, there's only one thing for you to do, and that is to run to Jesus Christ and the cross because you can't fix yourself. The Christian life is a recognition that we do not have within ourselves the energy, the power, the ability to change ourselves. We need to look somewhere else, and the only somewhere else to look is for Jesus Christ at the cross. Because true Christianity permeates our relationships and our behavior. That brings me to my final point. We've talked about hearing, we've talked about doing, now let's talk about loving. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. We've already talked about this, that it's a sham if you're if your speech doesn't match up with the Christian walk. But then he goes on to give us a definition of true religion. Notice verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. True religion is about visiting orphans and widows. Now, he's using that as a general term, but he's talking about caring for the least of these, for those who are afflicted, to those who are suffering. It's not about how many Bible studies you go to. It's about whether you love. See, true godliness is both internal and external. True godliness entails an inner life, an embrace of truth, a transformation of heart, a personal piety, but it manifests itself in the way we show uh, compassion to one another. And in verse 27, he's saying that our compassion for those who are in need, especially those who are part of the Christian family, is an indication of grace in our hearts. So when it says the true religion is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, it means to go means to not wait for them to come to us, but rather to go outside of ourselves, to visit them in their affliction, which means to bring comfort and care, both by physical means and spiritual means. You see, we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. That's what true religion is. The Apostle Paul says, I can have faith that can move mountains and I can fathom all mysteries if I can do those things, but if I don't have love, I am nothing. Who needs your love today? Maybe it is orphans and widows that we need to visit. But maybe it's someone sick in our congregation. Maybe it's someone who's discouraged or lonely someone who's lost hope. You can be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And we must be. Let this congregation be known as a congregation who hears, a congregation who does, a congregation that loves. Because true Christianity permeates our relationships and behavior.
I don't know about you, but I don't want to end up at the very end of my life realizing that I've been practicing all along a separated spirituality. On one hand, doing all of these spiritual things, but it never ever quite getting from here to here to where I actually become the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. I have no clever uh, closing as I had no clever opening. Aside from, this is what God has for us. And what God has for us, God empowers us to do. Was this not the life of Jesus Christ? A life that was spent hearing? A life that was spent doing? A life that was spent loving and giving? And Christ is in you. And He's in me. So by His Holy Spirit, by His power, by His unction and love, let us follow in His path, hearing, doing, and loving. For true Christianity permeates our relationships and our behavior. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you were all of these things and more, that you listened to us in the midst of our excuses, in the midst of our opposition, and you spoke words of life. Thank you that you did. Lord, you demonstrated in the way that you loved and cared for the least of these, that you love and care for us. Thank you for your love, which brings us from death. God, we want to be these kind of people where our Christianity permeates our relationships and our behavior. So God, let us be not only hearers of the word, but doers as well. And by your grace, we will do so. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.